Good morning, everyone. Uh, so some of you in this church today, I don't know what percentage it is, but, but some of you are by nature kind of optimistic. Right? Things are going to get better. Things are going to go well. Uh, things will turn out. Um, you people drive me nuts. Okay? I don't know why, but I'm just not wired that way. Um, today, and today's readings, right? Today's readings, we're at the end of the liturgical year, and the church wants you to be sober. The church wants you to be sober. The next weekend is the last Sunday of the liturgical year. It's Christ the King Sunday next Sunday. You are called to live a sober, just, and upright life. And every year at the end of the liturgical year, and as we move into Advent, which Advent's the start of a new year, the church turns our gaze to brothers and sisters, this world will end. And if you know that, you'll live sober lives. You won't be deceived into thinking that this world is everything. And so today what I want to talk to you about, I want to talk about Christian hope. But we've got to be sober about that hope. We have to be realistic about what Jesus teaches us, about what it means to be a Christian and what the nature of the world is. Um, I was laughing today. I just That first line from our first reading Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And today we heard from chapter 4, uh, Behold, the day comes burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. And that day, the day that comes shall burn them up. It's my new favorite verse. <laughs> like, What's your favorite verse? Malachi 4.1. All evildoers are stubble and hay, and the day of the Lord will burn them up. Mmm. Okay. If you haven't heard me talk about Father Goronsky, most of you have. Father Goronsky died a couple years ago of cancer. Um, Father Goronsky, uh, I don't know what it is, but I've, when Father Vitol came, I'm like, I, have, I always seem to have a Polish priest in my life at some point or another. But Father Goronsky was Polish. He was, he was American, but his parents were immigrants from Poland. And Father Goronsky was the ultimate pessimist, which is totally awesome. And Goronsky would always, he was, every seminarian, all of us who were studying to be priests, we all looked up to him. He was brilliant. He was wise. He was the best preacher. Um, we all wanted to be like him, but he was such a pessimist. And so Father Goronsky would always talk about, uh, about how Polish people tend to be pessimistic. We'll have to ask Father Vitold about that. But he would always tell the joke, he would always say, you know, you know the definition of a Polish optimist, he would always say, is he says, the Polish optimist is one, one person says, things just couldn't get any worse, any worse, and the Polish optimist is the one who says, oh yes, they can. <laughs> and that's, that's a Polish optimist. But one day in seminary, so I have, I have this quote document where I, I keep my favorite quotes, it's hundreds of pages long. But one day, Father Goronsky, in one of his sermons, he said this when he was still alive. I thought this was so profound. He said, hope 
Hope is the spray when the waves of your dreams crash against the rocks of reality. Hope is the spray when the waves of your dreams crash against the rocks of reality. I love pessimists. Um, Brothers and sisters, Christian hope is not optimism. It's not. Today's readings remind us, especially the gospel today, if you listen to that gospel, the normal state of the church in the world is a state of persecution against us. That's not extraordinary. That is not something to be feared even. We'll get to this. It's the normal state of the Christian in the world. And then what, what Christian hope is, Christian and what Goronsky was getting at in that homily is that Christian hope, brothers and sisters, real hope begins where worldly optimism ends. Jesus today warns us things are not going to go well. But my hope is not that the economy will get better or our country will somehow slowly make its way to a better place. My hope is in you. Jesus, you're the only one who can make things right. And so I don't place my hope in politicians. I don't place my hope in church people who have solutions for this world. Jesus, my hope is in you. So today, to understand today's gospel, brothers and sisters, you have to know about the temple. You have to understand why the temple matters in Judaism and in Christianity. You have to know why. And there's tons of reasons. The Irish, there's an old thing in in kind of the Irish imagination where we talk about thin places. And what that means is places in, in this world where it feels like the veil between heaven and earth is thin. Places where heaven touches earth. That's what the temple is. And here's what Jews believe about the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem, if you, if you go and study this, right now there's a Muslim mosque right where the main building of the temple stood. Underneath that mosque is a giant rock And Jews believe that that is the place that Abraham sacrificed Isaac. That is why the temple is built there. So that's where Genesis 22 happens. Jews also believe that that spot is, in some sense, the center of the world. They believe that it is where God finished creation. They believe that that place and where the temple sacrifices happened was what kept hell at bay. The temple is a thin place. It's a place where God dwells. It's everything for a Jew. It's the only place a temple can be built. That's why there's not another temple today, because the temple in Jesus' time was destroyed in the year 70 AD. We'll get to that. The temple's amazing. If you I'm going this summer, people ask me, they're like, are there still spots available on this trip to Jerusalem? I don't know because I hate logistics, but go to Chris Stefanik's website and you can find out there. 
The temple is amazing. Brothers and sisters, the, the courtyard of the temple is about the size of six football fields. One visitor to ancient Jerusalem said that Jerusalem was not so much a city with a temple as a giant temple with a little city built around it. One person who lived almost the same time as Jesus describes the temple for us. His name was Josephus. Josephus tells us that the temple was covered with giant plates of gold on almost every surface that it had. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Josephus tells us that if you went to Jerusalem and you were traveling there, you would be blinded by the sun reflecting off the gold of the temple. The main gate to the temple, all decked in gold, had a giant vine carved into it, and the grape clusters on this vine were the size of a grown man. Which, quick aside, that's why Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, we are the new temple. What does all this mean? So in our gospel today, right, the, the people talking to Jesus, he's in the temple, and they say, look at how beautiful it is. Brothers and sisters, the temple in Jerusalem was more beautiful than any building we possess. And it told you what mattered to the Jews. It was about God. That's the place that God dwells. Jesus tells them, the days are coming where not one of these stones will stand upon another. All of them will be cast down. And here's the message for us. Why does that matter for us? And it's kind of weird, right? Like we we're talking about the temple, then all of a sudden it sounds like Jesus is going to talk about the end of the world. The reason for that is that the temple is the world in miniature. This whole world, God, the reason God created the world, brothers and sisters, the whole world is meant to be a temple. It's meant to be a place where you and I worship God. And so what happens to the temple when it's destroyed mirrors what will happen at the end of the world. They're interchangeable. That's why it's kind of confusing in this passage. And there's a lot to that. Okay, but let's get to what, what, why does this matter for us? Why is this so important? Brothers and sisters, there's two points. So Jesus said, the first one, to wrap things up today, two points. Do not be surprised when you are persecuted. Jesus today, Luke 21. He talks about different signs that will happen. He says, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. A little further down, he says in verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, I don't know about you, but I just, I, when people don't like me, it's hard for me. As I get older, I'm kind of getting over that. But in general... Right? I'm like, I can win people over. They're going to like me. If you, if you send me a nasty email, I'm kind of like, if we met in person, you'd be like, okay, FP, you're charming. I forgive you. <laughs> right? I mean, you are, you, I mean, you're just amazing, right? No. 
And I always think if people just understood Christianity better, if you and I preach the gospel more clearly, if we witness, if people could understand the things we understand, everyone would be on board and we'd get there. It's not true. There is a mystery of evil in this world, brothers and sisters. If you follow him, you will be persecuted. Maybe not in a huge way, but maybe. Could you say yes to that? Are you an optimist or are you a woman of Christian hope? The optimist says, everyone will like me. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll get there. The person of Christian hope says, I will do my best. And Jesus, my hope is in you. And if persecutions come, then so be it. Then so be it. The problem with the temple is this. When I was, uh, years and years ago, the first time I walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain, and, and here's the point, you and I are pilgrims. And so the Camino is a pilgrimage. You and I are pilgrims. This world is good and God loves it and he is redeeming it, but this world has evil in it and you and I are on pilgrimage. The first time I was on the Camino, we were like five or six days in, I was tired, we were worn out, and we came to this little town, I can't remember the name of it, and Father Jason Wunsch and I, and another focused missionary, we, we stopped in this town, and the sun was setting, and it was perfect. And we had a glass of wine, and back then I didn't know how, you know, how to taste wine properly, and so it was probably terrible. But I thought it was amazing, and I thought, and I said to the other two, I was like, what if we just stayed here? What if we just, I'm tired, my feet hurt, I know your guys' feet hurt. What if we stopped our pilgrimage? What if we just made our set up camp and made our home here? Brothers and sisters, the church is a church on pilgrimage. And a danger for us as Christians is that we think we've got it all figured out. And we can build something here. And we don't have to look to God anymore. The Jews thought that with the temple. You and I look to the future. The church cannot grow too comfortable in any society. We cannot pretend that if we just implement this program and we set up this structure, that then everything's great and we've got it figured out. You and I are on pilgrimage and we walk. And he is the one that will set things right. Not us. And you and I should always be looking and expecting, Jesus, you're going to do something new. I know you will. I know it's going to be hard. I know that there will be persecutions, and that's normal. And Lord, I know that you will make all things new. At the end of this liturgical year, I want to just challenge you. Are you on pilgrimage? Are you setting up shop here to say, this is my spot? Brothers and sisters, the, the, the building blocks of that temple will be cast down. 
They'll be thrown down. You and I look to the return of Jesus Christ. That is where our hope is. I want to leave you last image today. Right, our Latin over our sanctuary. We had at the seminary, there was a Latin phrase over the doors at the bell tower. And when you asked Father Glenn what it said, he would always say, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, which it didn't say that. This is from John 114. At verbum caro factum est. And the word became flesh. But here's what I leave you with today. The next line from John 114. John 114 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. When it says he dwelt among us, the Greek word there is eskenosin. Everybody say eskenosin. Eskenosin in Greek literally means he pitched his tent. Skene is a tent. The word became flesh. It says the word pitched his tent. And here's what the John's gospel is getting at with that. That is an image of pilgrimage. It's from Exodus. You pitch your tent for the night, and you pick it up the next day, and you keep moving. Your home is not this world. You have a home in God's new world. In God's new world, there will be a permanent building for you. This world is a place of pilgrimage. And we are not to set down our roots here. But what God does with us is he comes on pilgrimage with us. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Jesus, may I never be an optimist. May all of us be sober. May we know that there is no room for you at the inn and there is no room in the world for us because we belong to you. And may we never be optimists. But Jesus, may we be men and women of Christian hope.